Hello and a warm welcome, friends, to another episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast. I'm your host, Cindy McMillan, and I hope you're finding inspiration and connection in our new podcast series, Holistic Living, Embracing Wholeness in Everyday Life. And if you happen to be joining us for the first time, a heartfelt welcome to you new friends. Holistic living, it's not just a fancy buzzword. Think of it as returning to the very essence of yourself, your body, mind, heart, and soul. Picture a world where you show up for yourself in every way imaginable, like you're your own best friend, chef, and personal cheerleader. It's about nurturing all those beautiful facets of you that make you, well, you. But here's where the magic truly begins, wholeness. It's embracing your stories, your scars, your stumbles, and your soaring moments, and realizing they're all essential brushstrokes that create your masterpiece. You're not a puzzle with pieces missing. You're a tapestry woven from the threads of your experience. Grab your favorite cozy beverage, Find a comfy spot to sit back and relax because we're about to dive deep into a truly inspiring conversation. So I'm so excited to introduce my guest. Stacy Mitchell has been a life cycle celebrant since 2005, co-creating and officiating meaningful ceremonies across the life cycle based on the beliefs and values of her clients. She is also a Reiki master teacher, Certified Soul Alignment Advanced Practitioner and Soul Regression Therapist. Her goal is to provide others with the tools and knowledge they need for self-empowerment and self-healing through the weaving together of these offerings. Welcome to the podcast, Stacy. I'm so excited to have you here. Good morning, Cindy. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, you know, and I, I wanted to just start off by you and I have exchanged, you know, several emails. And in one of your emails, you wrote a line that I loved. And I'm going to preface this by saying you're, you're probably going to be talking about this through throughout the whole, the whole podcast episode. But that line was probably the most important thing you should know about me going into this interview is that I came to this work and remain in this work as a practitioner of the healing arts and with a personal and cultural lens of understanding that includes death and dying as part of our natural life cycles. And I remember I wrote back to you, I love, love, love that because that is so true about death and dying, be, just being part of life. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I'm not a Buddhist, but I do tend to have a lot of understanding around Buddhist teachings. And in Hinduism, there's a understanding that there's the cycles of life are birth, life, death and rebirth. So and in the Western world, we tend to stop with just death, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> not that rebirth part. And but it's not a full cycle if we don't have that fourth part there where we come back around in the circle. I have sort of Buddhist underpinnings because of my um, training as a Reiki master, but personally, I have a background in indigenous teachings, specifically. Uh, my blood, the Cherokee people, and also adopted into the Sikandri Lakota people. And so I've had a lot of teachings um, through that indigenous lens for many, many years. So it's just sort of baked into my understanding of the world that we are in, you know, we're always in cycles and we either are synced up with those cycles or we're sort of, you know, salmon swimming against the stream in those cycles and not really being able to integrate and and really understand the cycles. For me, life isn't really about exploring cycles. It's about living into each season and cycle. Oh, love that. Love that. 
because, okay, I was going to ask that, what does exploring the seasons of life mean to you? Because that is, you know, the name of the podcast. So I kind of use that as an opening, but I love that you mentioned it's, can you repeat that leaning into or living into those cycles or those seasons? Yes, it's it's really about um, how we live our daily life, how we um, interact with the world around us. So yes, exploration is good and it's important, especially the younger, you know, for the younger people to really kind of get in and find the juiciness of each cycle and each season. But I think as time goes on, we really begin to understand that we are we are a part of the cycle. And so we are living the cycle, whatever whatever that cycle that we're in is in that moment. And really that's the key to integration, I guess, is that that ability to just live the cycle rather than peering in from the outside and say, oh, what's this? Where's that? You know, and that sort of thing. Stacy, you make a really good point. And, and we've talked about this on the podcast before about when we're in a season of life or, or a cycle of life, so many times we want to be somewhere else that we're yeah. not really living our lives during that season during that cycle yes absolutely that's that's an excellent way to to look at it is you know we're we're here to honor the world that we live and die in we have to be a part of it not just a witness to it mm. excellent could you could we just start off our conversation because i in the bio i introduced you as a life cycle celebrant now how did you become interested in that particular profession? Oh, uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> this is a long story. Um, well, I did not um, plan on becoming a life cycle celebrant. It um, found me so <laughs> in some ways. Uh, where do I start with this? Um, how did I become a life cycle celebrant? Well, in my early 20s, I, I do not know why, because I was not seeking it out in any way, shape, or form, but for some reason, people that knew me began to ask me to officiate ceremonies for them especially season, um, ceremonies at the end of life. And being in my sort of mid-20s at that time, I was really taken aback by that and had, you know, had no background in it at all. I have no idea why I was being, you know, asked um, in those situations to step into that role. And in my mind, you know, that was something that an elder did, you know, someone who had more seasons of life and more understanding around the seasons of life and how all of these things come together. And so it was a really kind of intimidating. But after about the third time of that, I decided that if that was what creator wanted of me and that's what people saw in me, then it was up to me to um, to live into that, to really start to understand what that meant. And um, I was born in Oklahoma and I was raised mostly in Southwest Missouri. And so it's a very, you know, homogenous area and very Christian centric. And there was not a lot of room for anything other than what everyone knew <laughs> in those areas. And so I was really kind of uh, 
not not understanding the whole situation. <laughs> but because of who I am and my background, um, people recognize that I was willing and able to appreciate them for who they were and not get bogged down into the dogma and the um, sort of, you know, the religious role. So I knew that I wanted to, um, you know, as I was exploring all of this, I wanted to um, find some kind of training program that took all of those things into account. And I did what everybody else does. I went online and I was just, you know, searching things out, trying to figure out things. And I found the Celebrant Foundation Institute, which is also called the CFNI. I don't know how much time passed, maybe six months. I, you know, looked at several different programs. I was, you know, sort of hemming and hawing. Oh, well, do I do this? Do I not do this? And, and then another one of those moments happened. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I have to, um, I have to do something to find more confidence in, in my role, in myself. So I um, realized that the celebrant offering, the celebrant um, CFNI offering was very, um, very much in line with what I was asking for as far as the training. And so I signed up for, at that time it was, one program for funerals and healing ceremonies. And now they're two separate programs. But that's how I got into it. it you know, I kind of go bass backwards into most things in life. So. <laughs> <laughs> so after a lot of pushing and prodding, I was like, okay, I guess I won't be a salmon and swimming up the stream anymore. I'll just go with the flow and see what happens. And 18 years later, here I am. <laughs> I love that sometimes we're, I'm going to almost say called to something. And then we, we, we're shown something and then we, we fight against it for a while. And then we're just like, okay, I'm going to go this way. This is what I'm, what I'm meant to be doing. Yes. yes. And that's a, a lot of what the creation of ceremony is. And you've had the training as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk a lot about the, the hero's journey, right? Campbell's hero's journey. And that's, that's it in a nutshell you know, sometimes we hear the call and we refuse, right? It's like, no, I do not want that. And then, you know, calamity happens until we finally understand that that's the path that we're supposed to be on. So it, it, um, it can take years. It can take decades. It doesn't really matter. And it also doesn't matter so much what we do with it once we have um, responded to the call and received the gifts and the understandings of what we need, it is important for us to take it back to the community, which is what the work of the celebrant is all about, is gathering all that up and taking it back to the community and making it a gift to the community. But it doesn't have to be uh, you know, a, a big to do. It might just be something. I know a lot of celebrants who, who do training, the you know, the CFNI training that they've done it just because they want to be able to be that person within their own family. And yes. there's, that's absolutely valid. That is your community, right? So um, it's not so much about, you know, I do it professionally, but it doesn't have to be that and it doesn't necessarily look that way for everyone yeah absolutely and as you're talking and stacy i had not ever made this connection ever before but this podcast could almost be taking it out to the community yes absolutely i i think it absolutely is and it's very important because you know even we just celebrated uh, as a as a foundation just celebrated 20 years and 
there's still a lot of people who don't know what a life cycle celebrant is. So we're, we're still trying to get the word out. <laughs> yes. Well, in your own personal growth and your learning processes, whether it's with a foundation or just in, in other things that you may do, life in general, how has that really shaped the way that you serve the needs of your clients? The only issue I have with this question is the past tense form of the verb shape. Okay. <laughs> um, I only say that because, you know, I, I intend to always be growing and learning. So Me too. <laughs> I don't think of that process as being in the past. Uh, but I I want to honor what you're asking is that, you know, how has the past impacted my present life? And I think it's kind of like becoming a pearl. <laughs> I just irritate the heck out of everybody <laughs> until, you know, the, the waters have just kind of flowed and flowed and flowed and then suddenly it's all beautiful and nice and everybody wants me. But <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> um, everything I do professionally is actually rooted in my own process of learning and growth. So I can't really, you know, parse out an answer to that question other than to say that each offering that I have is based in my own experience with whatever the modality may be, whether it's celebrant work or soul regression work, Reiki, whatever. Um, I have walked that walk in my own life. And I have found those things to be the most helpful for me. Other people's mileage may different and that's perfectly fine. That's why we have such a diverse experience of the world that, you know, there is something for everyone. So I know that the people who, um, who seek me out and seek out the offerings that I have are already connected in some way to that work and it's and they are responding to the call that is within themselves to um, to explore that a little bit more and and have someone to guide them through it who has already been down that path and that's the reason that I do the things that I do I love that Stacy can you just share with us maybe an example of how you've tailored your work to accommodate, you know, diverse belief systems? Because as, as a celebrant, you know, we want to honor everyone's belief systems. Yes, absolutely. This is, this is going to be a long answer. <laughs> Warrior right now. <laughs> I mean, you know, in, in 18 years, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands of clients. So it's a little bit overwhelming to try to think of like one specific example. Um, I will try to offer that before I finish speaking. Um, but truly what's most important <laughs> is, you know, in the ceremony co-creation process or the healing process, as a practitioner, the most important thing for me is to be an active listener. And active listening requires you to lay down any preconceived ideas or agendas about the work or the people that you are speaking with. And it also requires a presencing in the moment. 
to be fully there in that moment and not thinking in the before time, thinking into whatever's in the future, not jumping ahead mentally or even verbally, but to really just take in what is said, to marinate in those words and the emotions that the words invoke, and to listen between the lines in order to hear what the silence is saying. And then weave all of that into something meaningful and healing by its very existence. So I don't feel like I accommodate people, and I'm using air quotes, you know, <laughs> accommodate people, because I am accepting people exactly as they are, exactly who they are. So I guess for me, there's like a difference there in, in the semantics, right? Of, mm -hmm. I would rather say, you know, how do, how do you work to accept diverse belief systems <laughs> rather than accommodate because accommodates sort of sets up this ideal that um, one way is the right way <laughs> and one way is just, oh, that person is doing it this way. <laughs> um, so everyone is accepted as who they are. And for me, as a, I do a lot of different styles of ceremonies, as you know, but I um, have my main focus still in funeral and memorial work. So for me also that acceptance is especially important when dealing with a decedent, because at that point I am as the officiant, the only authority on their voice because they can no longer speak for themselves. So I think what you're asking me is for an example of how to balance different belief systems. And that can be tricky, <laughs> as you well know. For celebrant work, of course, we're trained to use words and rituals that are mindful of the often many different belief systems of both the people we work with and the people who will be in attendance for a ceremony. So again, it's more about balancing for me and not, um, not bringing my own inner judgment and not, um, not trying to superimpose my belief systems or any specific belief system into a situation or onto a situation that maybe does not fit that mold. So what's coming to mind as an example would be, I've had a couple of different experiences with this, but um, sometimes, in fact, a lot of the times, <laughs> people um, reach out to a celebrant to officiate a um, like a memorial ceremony or a funeral ceremony for someone that they don't necessarily share the belief system with. How interesting. And so then I am, I am being fed information about this decedent that is colored by the lens of that person's experiences and judgments. And that's where I'm, I'm 
talking about reading between the lines, you know, listening between the lines to what isn't said or how things are said and really having to parse out the difference between what the individual decedent believed or wished for their life or their death process from that of the person giving the information. And still somehow weaving all of that together <laughs> into something that is meaningful and authentic. So for example, I've had um, a couple of different situations where probably in, in most in instances, the person's, the decedent person's belief system is considered a cult, right? Like, let's say just for example, Scientology. And so the individual had a certain belief system based in the Scientology teachings. Most of the people in the family you know, they considered a cult. They didn't necessarily have a good relationship with the person. Um, things were very strained. And then maybe there were other people um, in that person's life or in that person's family who do share sort of the same um, belief system. And it can get very contentious when you have a lot of differing belief systems and everybody has their own idea of what is the most important thing to do to honor the dead <laughs> based on that. But my role as the celebrant, <laughs> excuse me, is to focus on the beliefs of the decedent and bring those things forward that were meaningful and valuable to them while also, <laughs> here's the tricky part, while also trying to balance in and weave in the belief systems of the other people involved who um, wish to honor them in death, but don't necessarily agree on how to do it. I don't know if I finished answering that or not. You'll have to tell me. <laughs> well, what I was going to say, um, Stacy, I, I want to just a few pieces about what you what you were just saying. One, I want you to know how much I appreciate as I asked that question. You kind of going through and talking about the accommodate in an acceptance, you know, and in balancing those belief systems, because I, I really and truly think that um, that does change the question in, in the way that you're, you're answering it and everything. So I appreciate that. I always, I always love guests to, you know, to really flesh out those questions and, you know, on, on what they think that I'm asking and, and answering it in yes, that way. You. And I also wanted to just mention, yes, the way that you were an answering the question is is great because I can I can imagine that when you're trying to balance out these different belief systems to honor someone who has um, died, it's it is a balancing act. Yes. So no, I think you did a perfect job answering that. Oh, good. Thank you. Sometimes I don't listen to myself. Even though I practice active listening, I don't listen to myself. <laughs> now, I just want to jump over to Reiki for a second. Or did you want to talk about the role of ceremony in like modern society? And when I'm asking that, I'm just really talking about modern as in the world that we live in. Yes, this is a very important question. So I don't, I don't want to skip it. Um, okay. I believe 
that ceremony is more important now than ever. Because we as global humanity are losing what is most precious about being human, and that is our connection to one another. So when we strip ceremony down to its barest form, it is a means by which a community of individuals comes together for the common good, or at least the common goal, right? <laughs> um, when we do not feel in our bones that deep connection to one another and a desire for the common good, then society begins to break down and the divisions and polarities of thought like we are seeing now take root. And it's very hard to establish or to reestablish a commitment to honoring life and the diversity that exists in life when we get to that point. So the experience of ceremony is integral to reestablishing our commitment to loving and protecting each other and the earth. And when I talk about ceremony, understand that I'm talking about an experience of a moment that is truly felt in the marrow. Not just, you know, rote ritual or dogmatic ways of moving through a ceremony, <laughs> which is what most people, especially in the Western world, are familiar with. But if we are truly in a moment, there's a cohesiveness that happens when we're all feeling deep inside of us. And that feeling can remind us of our own place within community. I had company last night and they just got back from Dubai. They mm -hmm. just got back about maybe three days ago. And I was asking them about their trip and um, if they enjoyed it and everything. And, and one of the comments was that, that really stuck out to her was in, if they were in, I'm gonna say a market, at a certain time, they would pull something down to kind of emphasize that they were closed. And she noticed that the people were praying together and eating together in community. And she said that just made such an impact on her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think in the West, we've lost so much about community and Food is a big part of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Understanding. Um, I've been, I don't mean to get off track here, but <laughs> I've become fascinated recently, uh, probably because of the writer's strike, <laughs> um, with all of these food shows on, you know, different streaming services and things that you can access that are based on um, experiencing culture through the food that is presented. And it's really fascinating because we really begin to understand the connection between um, individual and community when 
we understand the link that food gives us to having that ability to nurture and um, honor life because that's what food gives us, right? It gives us the energy to live. And all of, you know, every culture has specific foods and specific food groups and specific ways in which we present food. And it can really be eye-opening to to see, like your friend, you know, to see how other cultures um, treat food and treat the uh, sharing of food. And, you know, I'm sure you're aware that even in the West, sharing food after a ceremony, especially a funeral, is like one of the most important parts of the experience. So it's not just um, what happens within the ceremony itself, but that moment of breaking bread together, that moment of being in community and feeding each other and feeding um, in some circles would be called feeding the soul, right? Mm -hmm. um, having, um, having a deeper connection to the food and the meaning behind the food in that moment. And Stacy, and, and I'm, I'm going off on another direction. <laughs> Sorry, that was well. my fault. <laughs> no, but I just watched a, a documentary on the blue zones and they were talking and going to these places where people live to be a hundred plus years old and food and community is one is one of the things that they found in all these different locations so yeah imagine community that <laughs> and food is so important and those things too are are part of ceremony a lot of like the actual you know the process of ceremony i do a lot of rituals around sharing food and libation and you know things like that so um, it's definitely a key ingredient yes well i'm going to jump over to reiki now because not i don't think many people are familiar with reiki and can you share what reiki is and how it plays a, a a role in your work as a life cycle celebrant. Are there really still people who don't know what Reiki is? <laughs> I, you know, I don't think people, they may have heard about it and it's something out there that they've heard about, but they've never really, um, or at least into some of the people that I've been talking to, yeah. they, they don't really know what it is. Well, you know, I've been practicing it for a couple of decades now, and I don't know what it is either. <laughs> um, well, I'll try to keep this as simple as possible because I am a Reiki master, which means I teach Reiki. So in Reiki classes, most classes are at least a day long, sometimes three or four days long. So I, I know I I'm, asking, I'm asking you such big topics here. Give me three words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. One, two, three, four, five. Six. I got six words for you. Okay. <laughs> Reiki is universal life force energy. The practice of Reiki is an energy healing technique used for stress reduction and to promote natural healing. Now I'm going to segue just a moment and give my little disclaimer spiel. <laughs> I am not 
a licensed medical professional nor a licensed mental health professional. So anything I share is just based on my own experience and not meant to be um, taken as such. We're not given medical advice. Exactly. So the modern form of Reiki originated in the early 1900s in Japan, which interestingly enough also has underpinnings of Tendai Buddhism and the Samurai Code. Because in that time, the only people who were, quote, allowed to practice Reiki were military men. Doesn't that blow your mind? (laughs) So there's there's a lot going on with that that I won't get into, but just a little few seeds there. Um, At the time, there were a few different healing art schools in Japan that are also known as lineages. And the school or lineage that I belong to is known as Usui Reiki. The practice of Reiki is not religious, it carries no dogma, and it requires no specific belief, which are all the reasons why I became interested in Reiki to begin with. But I also have found personally that the practice of Reiki will strengthen and deepen whatever spiritual or religious path you are walking in a good way. And or it will set your feet on the path that is right for you in all cases. So to practice Reiki you must be attuned to the right frequency in order to send it to others, either through your hands or via distance techniques. Reiki as universal life force energy is available to anyone and everyone, but in order to quote unquote, send it to others, you need to be attuned to it. So I have been attuned to all levels of Asui Reiki. I've also been attuned to the highest level of Karuna Reiki, which is also known as the Reiki of Compassionate Action, and to a newer stream of Reiki, which is called Holy Fire. And I use all of these for myself first and foremost, because Reiki is a self-healing practice. So that is the whole reason behind becoming attuned, is to work on whatever healing you need for yourself. It's a way for you to... to, um, come back into alignment within yourself, mind, body, and spirit. And I also use it now to teach others about Reiki and how to um, utilize Reiki for themselves, the students. As to your question about the role that Reiki plays in my work as a life cycle celebrant. To be honest, I did not publicly integrate the healing work that I do and my celebrant work for probably close to a decade. Some of that was um, simply because, again, I was in southwest Missouri and there wasn't a lot of call for that kind of thing. (laughs) Um, You're probably aware of this, but uh, 
Missouri is considered the buckle of the Bible Belt. <laughs> so there's a lot going on there with the major Christian churches. It is the seat of the, the Baptist Convention and a couple of others, I think. So um, not a lot of people there still, even to this day, know what Reiki is. It is really, again, one of those universal, you know, the universe stepping in kind of things. I didn't know what Reiki was the first time I took a class in it. I had no clue what it was. I was only there because I was a plus one for someone. (laughs) So I think because of the, you know, that sort of entrance into the practice of Reiki, I was very hesitant for a long time to sort of bring it out in the light and, you know, be like, Hey, this is me here. Here's what I do. So it's really only been since I moved, I moved to California in 2010 and slowly I have become more accustomed to, to talking openly about the different work that I do and um, how these things can um, benefit people on their own journey. Every ceremony I've ever done has received Reiki energy, whether anybody else knew it or not. (laughs) So um, for me, it's more uh, about my own practice of Reiki and allowing that Uh, that part of me to be present in ceremony. And to that end, I also um, always send Reiki to my voice and to the words that will be spoken. Because those... um, even just doing something sort of that maybe sounds very simple (laughs) to to others. And it is a very simple process to send Reiki to these things. But the commitment and the intention that is held within that practice can open mm, opportunities for experience that I, as a human individual, don't have the um, power to do. Right. So I would say probably maybe 2015 was when I really started for lack of a better word, marrying (laughs) to, um, in a, in a more open way. But all of the things that I offer are standalone offerings. So it's, I don't require people to, you know, experience Reiki or to do a soul realignment session or, you know, anything of that nature. People will tell me, what path they want to follow as far as that goes. But I now have everything all on one website and, you know, so I don't know how that will play out. I'm, I'm kind of experimenting with that still. <laughs> um, but I think it's helpful for people to, um, to know that there are, members of their community out there that will accept them no matter what path they're on and are willing to work with them um, to create ceremonies that are meaningful for them 
not meaningful in the in whatever belief system or uh, experience that the officiant has or holds. So um, somewhere around in that time frame too, in 2015, I was also tapped to teach for the CFNI, which was a great honor. I, I haven't done it for many years um, now. I think I taught from 2015 to 2019, um, usually two to three classes every session, and there's three sessions a, a year. <laughs> so it was a lot, but, <laughs> but um, they always have uh, amazing people teaching their classes. So you can't go wrong no matter who you get. Um, but one of, the, one of the classes that I taught uh, for CFNI, um, uh, before, I, um, before I was offered that position, there had been another uh, individual who had um, separated out the funeral memorial ceremonies and the healing ceremonies. So again, when I went through the program, they were both in one um, class and now they're two separate classes, which is really, really good because you can do so much more. <laughs> you know, you can cover so much more with having that separated out. Um, so I taught, um, one of those classes that I taught was this um, new separated out course on the healing ceremonies. And a lot of the students that were coming through were people already in the healing arts themselves. You know, they were people who did Reiki or they were massage therapists or they were licensed counselors. And so I got more comfortable with the idea of, you know, physically incorporating some of um, some of these things into ceremony. And it doesn't have to be, you know, like in your face type application. <laughs> we don't have to be like, okay, now we're going to do Reiki, <laughs> you know. Um, it's still just sort of a part of the experience. And it's often just simply about me leading a ritual or a meditative moment fully emanating the Reiki energy into the experience. Um, just a quick example. Um, earlier this year, I worked with a beautiful uh, widow in her 80s. And she asked me to do a moment of silence with a brass bowl for her beloved who had passed during the pandemic. And so I, I did what she asked. And as I did it, I was also sending Reiki energy to the higher selves of all involved to be accepted or rejected as desired and sending Reiki energy through the sound of the bowl itself. And it was a magical and powerful moment. And it had nothing to do with bringing up Reiki. <laughs> you know, it was just Reiki was there in that moment and available to anyone who wished to engage with it. So it's really more just about um, people wanting to deepen an experience. And as a Reiki practitioner, I can help provide that. Stacy, how do you stay grounded and maintain your own well-being while you're helping others on your their healing journeys? You know, you're doing a lot of um, a lot of healing work. How do you take care of yourself? Maybe I guess the question is, do you have a self-care practice for yourself? Well, yes, I do. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so ground, being grounded is, is a big one for all of us, I think. And, and I, um, you know, I've, it's been a journey for me to, to learn how best to do that for myself. And I'm not always the best at it, I will admit. I try to listen to and honor my inner experience as much as possible. And that means being aware of the cyclical nature of my own energy system and trying not to take on more than I can handle at any one time. And, you know, that's easier said than done most of the time, especially when, you know, like us, we're entrepreneurial women and we're we've talked about this in email we're wearing all the hats we're doing all the things <laughs> and it can get exhausting really fast and overwhelming so uh, i have to be really cognizant of my calendar and um, try to um, try to take into account the ebbs and flows of my energy system. And I have made mistakes around that a lot of times. So live and learn, right? Um, so I do, you know, I again, everything that I offer are um, modalities that have helped me personally. So I do use all of those things for myself. Um, as I mentioned previously, Reiki is a self-healing practice. So every day I do um, hands-on Reiki. I do Reiki meditation. I do um, my own uh, Akashic healing work. And if I'm blocking or not able to do it, I know that I have other people, you know, in my community that I can turn to for help. You know, I can um, ask uh, other Reiki practitioners to, to do a trade. I can um, work with massage therapists. I can um, ask other Akashic readers to, to work with me, that kind of thing. So it's not just about me doing all the work. It's about me being open doing the work. And I think the most important thing we can do for ourselves is to maintain our relationship with the land we are on. And a part of that is also maintaining a relationship with the elementals of nature so for example when you asked me that question i immediately picked up my water and took a drink <laughs> because water believe it or not is grounding <laughs> it is also a conductor so um, it is a way for us to uh, immediately come into ourselves and to help, you know, lube, <laughs> to, to grease the wheels, so to speak, <laughs> and get things moving. So um, I take a lot of walks. I try to walk at least, you know, two or three times a week, um, just in nature, whether it's in wooded area or on the beach, um, just do whatever you can wherever you are to connect with nature you know walk outside and touch a tree <laughs> you don't have to be a weird you know huggy person to you know hug all the trees you can if you want that's beautiful but <laughs> you know you don't have to to make it anything other than i am touching something living that is totally connected to the earth and by touching that tree i too can become more connected 
to the earth. Witness a bird song. Sit and listen to the conversations that happen all around you that are not from the human voice. Be aware of the slap of the whale's tail on the water and what that's communicating. All of these things can remind us of our connection to universal life and help us stay grounded in our own breath as we move through the world. I got a little existential there, but hopefully you get the idea. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was beautiful. Especially when you talked about the slap of the whale's tail, because I'm going to, on Alaskan cruise next year, is something I've wanted to do. And on the top of that list is I want to see whales. <laughs> You will be changed. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful experience. So Stacy, everything that you've just talked about that you do personally, I think is going to resonate with so many people because the way you talked about it, they can do it too. Do you know what I'm saying? There are yeah. simple things that they can do too. Exactly. And that's what I always tell people is like, this is not rocket science, you know, <laughs> It's life. Right. <laughs> it is our own experience and we can own it. I know we're running out of time and I and I appreciate all your honestly, all your wisdom that you've been sharing and everything. I was going to ask you do you have a favorite quote? And if you do, why is it your favorite? Oh, I do. It was not even a contest. <laughs> so, my favorite quote has, of all time has got to be, of course, Rumi. Everybody loves Rumi, I think. Uh, Rumi was a 13th century Persian mystic and poet. And um, of the many, many beautiful sayings that, that you can pull from Rumi. My favorite is, you are not a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. Beautiful. Beautiful. How can people find you? How can they work with you? Well, that's not necessarily the same thing, but <laughs> <laughs> they can find me on the web is the easiest thing to do. Uh, I have two websites, actually. My main website is onyourvoice.com, and um, you find all the things there, and also my you know contact and all of that. And I also started this year a separate website that is onyourvoice.thinkific.com. And that is strictly for online classes and experiences that I have created. Everything right now that I have up is based on using soul regression and energy healing work um, as standalone experiences. At some point, I may offer Reiki um, classes through that portal as well. I haven't decided on that. And do you have a, do you have a social media account? I can't remember. I have a love-hate relationship with social media in general, so I think it at this juncture, I'm not going to talk about social media. <laughs> okay. All right. No, that's fine. 
that's perfect. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that I had everything in the no, show notes that yeah. you wanted. And you know, Stacy, we have not even talked about some of your other healing modalities. And I would love to have you back on to, to talk about those because I know one of them was the soul realignment advanced practitioner, but do you also do human design? I'm trying to remember. Um, no. Okay. All right. I do soul realignment and soul. I'm a certified soul regression therapist, which is exploring past life and between lives experiences and how that, um, relates to and affects our current life. Uh, and then also, of course, the uh, Reiki master teacher and life cycle celebrant. All right. I've loved having you as a guest. Thank you for coming uh, on the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Cindy. It's been very enjoyable and I appreciate you and all the work that you're doing to put out this uh, beauty into the world. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I am your host, Cindy McMillan, and my website is CynthiaMcMillan.com. Your support means the world to me, and I'm thrilled to have you as part of our podcast community. If you enjoyed what you heard, I'd be incredibly grateful if you could take a minute to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform, whether you're a loyal Apple podcast listener, a Spotify enthusiast, or use any other platform, your reviews make a huge difference. Not only do your reviews motivate me to keep creating great content, but they also help others discover the show and become part of our community. So please share your thoughts and feedback. I can't wait to hear from you. And as always, stay tuned for more exciting episodes. Until next time, take care and keep spreading those positive vibes.